Welcome, this is Legal Wise with Ted Eccles, a show dedicated to helping you find peace of mind through being well-informed and up-to-date. We want to help you defeat procrastination and provide information on legal matters that matter to you. I'm Ted Eccles, attorney, and you can reach us at LegalWiseGA.com. If you have a legal question, or particularly an estate planning question, go to our website and write to us. We try to address questions that you, our listeners, will find interesting and helpful. You can also join us as part of our free virtual estate planning workshops. To register, give us a call, 770-506-9092, or visit our website at LegalWiseGA.com. Thanks for listening. I'm attorney Ted Eccles, and we have a great lineup of questions today on LegalWise with Ted Eccles. We'll talk about loans to family members, life insurance, workplace restraining orders, gifts accommodating special circumstances, premises liability, and we'll hear from a special guest. So let's get started. We have a question from Emily. She says, two years ago, my cousin asked me if he could borrow some money to help him get his new business off the ground. At the time, I had some extra, so I loaned it to him. However, even asking him several times, he is still not paying me back. I don't want to have to sue him. Do I have other options? Well, I'm sorry to hear about this trouble, Emily. I know this situation is emotionally challenging and maybe even painful because you probably would not have agreed to loan some money to your cousin unless you had a close relationship with him before. It would be helpful to know why he's not paying you back. Is it because the business isn't doing well and he doesn't have the money? Or does he think you made him a gift and he has no obligation to pay you back? Either way, his refusal to pay you back now is straining your family relationship with him in addition to the financial pressure you're experiencing as a result of his failure to give you your money back. There is certainly a legal component to your circumstances. If he isn't claiming you made him a gift, it sounds like you agreed to loan some money and he agreed to pay it back. Hopefully there are some more detailed terms as to when and how the money would be paid back and whether or not there was to be interest paid. The challenging thing about family loans is that they rarely contain the types of details that are helpful in pursuing a legal remedy. In addition to the requirement that the terms must be proven, initiating litigation and moving the case through the court process has a tendency to drive an even larger wedge between the parties involved. The necessity of getting your case ready to go to trial, including the preparation of a complaint, the serving of the lawsuit on the other person, depositions, and the trial itself cause the party's relationship to further deteriorate. As an alternative to initiating a lawsuit, you may want to consider Alternative Dispute Resolution, or ADR. There is a group called Peacemaker Ministries and other local organizations like Bridge Conciliation, a group I'm affiliated with, who provide a peacemaking process, including providing mediators to assist parties work through their differences outside of court. This process is less formal than going to court and is designed to help the parties not only resolve the dispute, but also reconcile the relationship that existed prior to the dispute. 
You can learn more about this process at bridgeconciliation.com. I hope you're able to resolve your dispute and keep your family relationships intact. Thanks for the question, Emily. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, visit LegalWiseGA.com. Brad has a question. He says, My father recently passed away, and I am the beneficiary of his life insurance policy. I am planning to use some of the money to pay off a few of my bills. What else should I consider? Well, I'm sorry for your loss, Brad. The death of a loved one presents a number of challenges, including dealing with a potential change of financial circumstances. First, I want to remind you that since you individually are the beneficiary of the life insurance, it is not part of the estate. It can be tempting to use life insurance to pay the estate's bills. Sometimes creditors will wrongfully pressure heirs to pay bills that are the responsibility of the estate. This may not be the best plan of action for a number of reasons. There are rules in place that govern how and when creditors of the estate are paid and what assets of the estate are used to pay those creditors. If you're in charge of the estate, you'll want to consult with an experienced attorney to review this process. The beneficiaries under the will may be different than the beneficiaries of the life insurance. If you use some of the insurance proceeds to pay the estate bills, it may be difficult for you to maneuver the process to be reimbursed from the estate. But let's talk about the fact that you now have some cash on hand. In addition to consulting with a financial planner prior to purchasing any investments, you'll likely want to consult with an attorney about your estate planning needs. Most people who own significant assets need to consider how they are going to protect them. This includes folks who have significant equity in their homes. Without including asset protection in your estate plan, all of your assets, including the insurance proceeds you've received from your father, will be subject to the numerous predators out there who want what you have. These include creditors, the government, long-term care costs, and even family members, the surprising predator, lurking out there ready to separate you or your other family members from your assets. So before you make any decisions regarding your dad's life insurance proceeds, talk with a good financial planner and an experienced attorney to make sure you're moving forward armed with as much knowledge as possible. Thanks for the question, Brad. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, go to LegalWiseGA.com. Sarah has a question. She says, I enjoy my job. However, we have a customer who has become very angry. He is dropping by the shop where I work and making threatening remarks towards me and my fellow employees. What can we do? Well, Sarah, I'm sorry you're experiencing this challenging circumstance. Among other possible areas of legal relief, your employer may be able to help. I'm hopeful that your employer wants to provide a safe workplace environment. You'll want to make sure your boss or the owner of the company is aware of the threats of violence. If the threatening behavior meets certain criteria and an employee has suffered violence or is being threatened with violence, an employer can initiate a legal proceeding to obtain a restraining order against the person threatening that violence. 
This protective order, if granted, would be a court order prohibiting any additional violence or threats of violence. But be prepared, Sarah, unless the threat is imminent and serious bodily harm could result, a hearing will be held prior to the judge issuing the protective order. Your employer will be required to provide evidence, which may include the testimony of witnesses or employees, to prove that the protective order is necessary to protect its employees. Even if granted, these protective orders are not permanent. It will expire no more than three years after being granted unless a judge renews it. The judge does have some discretion to add terms and conditions to the protective order that are relevant to the particular facts of the case. Sarah, employers whose employees are experiencing threatening or actual bodily harm should consult with an attorney to determine if this relief is appropriate for them. Thanks for the question. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles, and we have a special guest today, Kelly Adams. She's been in the real estate business for 35 years and worked for Adams AMI. Welcome, Kelly, and tell us about Adams AMI. Well, thank you, Ted. It's good to be with you today. I sure love the show. Uh, Kelly with Adams Asset Management. We're also known as Adams AMI. And we're a real estate company. One of the areas that we serve is in the foreclosure space where we work with investors and homeowners and banks all surrounding foreclosures. Well, I think that that's a particularly interesting business um, component and probably interesting to some of our listeners to legalize with Ted Eccles. And as part of your business, I guess you assist businesses with real estate-owned assets. Are there foreclosures available right now, and can a consumer get a good deal buying property on the courthouse steps? Oh, it's an excellent question. Everybody wants to know that one for sure. There are some foreclosures, actually. There have not been over the last year and a half because banks have been holding off, but we're seeing them come back. And you can get a good deal at the courthouse steps with a little bit of guidance. I think it's a good place to find properties and make your investments there. One thing that when I'm talking with, with uh, potential purchasers of real estate, they have a fear that maybe they can't get a good title as a result of a foreclosure. Do you ever deal with that issue? Oh, absolutely. The foreclosure at the steps will always be subject to Uncle Sam. For instance, when you buy a foreclosure at, at the courthouse steps, it is subject to property taxes, which you will have to bring current. And sometimes it is subject to the former's, excuse me, former mortgagor's IRS debt. So the IRS can jump in and redeem the property to pay off what that prior mortgagor owed them. Yes, you know, as I always suggest when when investors or individuals are thinking about buying a property on the courthouse steps that we obtain a title exam 
um, even though the close the 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 attorney that's conducting the foreclosure may say he thinks the title is good or he thinks there's no liens or he thinks this or thinks that, I think it's good to do an independent verification of the condition of the title. Is that what you suggest to purchasers also? Yes, sir. Absolutely. That is one of the areas that can cost you more money than the entire deal is worth. Yeah, I think it would be um, it's particularly important also to understand if, if this loan that's being foreclosed is a second mortgage or a first mortgage, and that would only be revealed through a title exam. Hey, um, You're exactly right there. Yeah, let me ask about some common misconceptions. I've heard this before um, regarding if my credit's not good, can I buy a foreclosure? Do I have to qualify for a loan? Those types of questions. How do you deal with those when you're talking with potential investors? We've heard that too. And there are two ways to buy foreclosure. One is with cash and two is with a new loan. A new loan will be separate completely from the previous loan on the property. That loan cannot be assumed. So a whole new loan is needed and you must qualify for that loan. The home must also qualify as far as condition goes. But yeah, you got to either pay cash for it or get a new loan. Yeah, there's some people are just, um, they're more cautious than than the the foreclosure setting would allow where you show up at the courthouse, um, show up at the courthouse and and the the essentially the auctioneer, which is just the the attorney that's representing the bank, is conducting an auction on that property, and they're just they're just too apprehensive about that type of setting. Is there a way for a buyer to purchase foreclosure property from the lender after the foreclosure? Yes, there are two ways to buy a real estate owned asset. One is at that foreclosure sale at the courthouse steps that you talked about, but then post foreclosure, banks do not sell their assets directly to the public. They prepare them for the market in one of two ways. Typically is they will list the home and market it and sell it through a broker like us or sometimes they'll have an auction event, usually online. So if they're, if they, if, if somebody is saying, you know, I think I might like a fixer upper or a, a um, property that's been foreclosed on because I think I might get a better deal. Do they just uh, simply approach you to see if you have any that you're marketing or do you have access to um, a broad range of banks and their offered properties? I'll tell you how that works for uh, your listeners, Ted. One is brokers will have a list of inventory that is either on the market or coming soon. And a word of advice there would be to never pay for a list of foreclosures. Like online, people say, pay me a dollar and I'll show you all of the foreclosures in your area or in your preferred zip code. You can call me and get any list we've got for free. And other brokers too would do that. But brokers is one of the ways. 
but also here is a hint that your listeners may not know. Most banks like Wells Fargo, Chase, PNC, or Bank of America, you go to their website, you can reach their REO page and it will tell you what addresses they have available. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Tell me what REO stands for. Oh, yes, sir. It's a real estate owned asset. Banks own gold bars and CDs and $100 bills as assets, but they also own real property. So real estate owned assets are houses, land, commercial buildings, anything they foreclosed on and they now own. Hey, let's address this from a different perspective. Instead of a potential investor thinking about foreclosure, what if we have a listener to LegalWise with Ted Eccles and they've received that letter that says, hey, you've missed your mortgage payment for the last four months. Uh, And the bank says we're thinking about accelerating this debt uh, so that the foreclosure process can begin. What are the alternatives for that person to consider instead of just letting their property go to foreclosure? Oh, sure. Uh, There are three ways to avoid foreclosure, Ted, that we often talk about with families or investors who are behind on that mortgage. And one is to sell the home, pay off that delinquent mortgage. Two is a short sale. I think most of your listeners have probably heard that term, though we haven't heard it in quite a while. It is simply the borrower calling their bank, asking the bank to approve a sale of the home short of what is owed. And the reason we don't see very much of that right now, Ted, is the market is favorable to sellers. And that includes the ones that might be delinquent because values are up. So the first one was sell the home, pay off the mortgage. Two, you could approach your bank to let you do and approve your short sale. But three, uh, deed in lieu of foreclosure is the process where the bank approaches the borrower and says, you are delinquent, as you know, and we would like to offer you the opportunity to sign over your deed to us. And by the way, that's all equity in lieu of foreclosure. And the reason that is sometimes a good route to take is the ding to a borrower's credit is less than if they had a foreclosure. Oftentimes, you'll want to get with a mortgage broker uh, going forward to get a new loan and find out how long you have to wait after you do a foreclosure, a short sale, or a deed in lieu of foreclosure. My favorite one, though, for your listeners today, Ted, is to call a broker familiar with helping families and investors when they're behind and facing foreclosures. Yeah, it does seem like it would be important to know how much equity that 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 uh, property owner has in the property, because if you do a deed in lieu and there's a lot of equity, the bank's going to get the benefit from that, aren't they? Yes, sir. Absolutely. And they know that. And that's one of the reasons they offer it to you. Hey, we've had as our special guest today, Kelly Adams with Adams AMI. Thank you for joining us today, Kelly. 
If someone has a question about foreclosures or buying bank-owned property, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, thank you so much for having me, Ted. Your listeners could call us at 770-914-0369, or they could also go to our website, which is adamsami.com. We'd love to hear from them and help them too. All right. Thank you very much. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. We have a question from Lee. He says, I am single. When I die, I want to give something to all of my children, but one of them is currently in rehab. I want her share to be available as she is recovering without enabling an addictive lifestyle. Is that possible? Well, thanks for the question, Lee. Caring for loved ones who are recovering from addiction requires careful estate planning. Because of your experience with your daughter, you know firsthand that the temptation to misuse resources is great for those suffering from addiction. As a result, responsible planning requires that steps be taken to limit their access to the funds until they are in a better position to make good choices. Many people consider setting up a living trust that will allow the creator of the trust to maintain control of their property during their lifetime, it avoids probate after they die, and then they have a responsible person called a trustee to manage the property for the benefit of their beneficiaries. In the case of a beneficiary who isn't in a position to responsibly receive property, whether they're too young, incapacitated, or suffering from an addiction, the trustee will continue to hold that property and distribute it according to your instructions. With the Living Trust, you can even provide flexibility for the trustee to regularly evaluate the circumstances and make choices as needed at that time. If you're considering using a trust as part of your planning, you'll want to contact an experienced attorney to assist you in drafting this important legal document. Well, thanks for the question, Lee. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, visit LegalWiseGA.com. Growing up, my family would often travel down from our home in Clayton County to Jessup, Georgia, a small town located about an hour west of the coast, to visit my grandparents. They lived in a subdivision on the edge of town. My grandfather, who loved to hunt and fish, would allow me and my younger brother to tag along on these outings even when our participation would likely frustrate the activity. During our Thanksgiving and Christmas visits, we would walk through his neighborhood to the land adjacent to the subdivision. This property included pine forest and power lines. My brother and I would hunt for dove and quail. I don't know who owned the property, and I don't think my grandfather knew either. One thing is clear, the property was full of wildlife, including deer, wild pigs, and snakes. We enjoyed some great times together with my grandfather on these winter outings. But what if the circumstances had turned out differently? What if one of us had been seriously hurt by a wild animal on that property, such as a rattlesnake or a rabid raccoon? Before you jump to the conclusion that a property owner can't be liable for the acts of wild animals, think about the lakes down in Orlando, Florida area, adjacent to areas where thousands of vacationers visit. 
Many people would say that the property owner has a duty to control the alligators located in those waters, even though they are wild so as to protect the unsuspecting tourist. So some things to keep in mind. The duty owed by a property owner increases depending on whether the occupant is a trespasser, a licensee, or an invitee. The status of the person changes the duty owed to them, even when wild animals are involved. By posting your property with no trespassing signs, a property owner can prevent anyone from being considered something other than a trespasser unless you specifically invite them onto the property. Because animals can be unpredictable, it may be a good idea to warn people of the possible dangers. I remember visiting a Georgia park where there were signs warning of the possible dangers from alligators in the lake. Well, thankfully, my brothers and I never were injured while on the property. All property owners should think about their potential liability regarding their property. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, visit LegalWiseGA.com. You've been listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or want more information, contact us at LegalWiseGA.com or give us a call, 770-506-9092. While legal advice can help, we know that true peace is found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us next week as we answer more interesting questions from listeners just like you. The information... Comments and opinions expressed in Legal Wise with Ted Eccles do not constitute legal advice. The topics discussed and opinions given are general in nature and not intended to create any legal relationship or opinion about specific circumstances. No attorney-client relationship has been or will be formed by any communication or legal discussion, and no representation is made regarding your particular legal rights. For legal advice, contact an attorney actively practicing in your jurisdiction.